this time I'm going to call my friend Frick to come, and he's going to be uh, opening God's Word with us. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be uh, looking at some of the last of the Beatitudes section, though we are continuing our series, Citizens of the Kingdom, looking at salt and light over the next two weeks as well. So uh, without further ado, thanks so much, Frick. Thank you, Dave. Good morning, everyone. So, um, before we get started this morning, let's just open with prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning for who you are. We want to thank you for sending your Son, Jesus, to die for us and to take away our sin. We want to thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to be with us always and strengthen and comfort us. Lord, we do want to ask that you would speak with us this morning. Lord, help us to discern your will for our lives and your words for us this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray this. Amen. So, I want to start this morning with a true story that was published in the Open Doors website in May of this year. Um, this is the story of a mother in Iran uh, who prepared her daughter for possible persecution. Now, obviously, names were changed to protect the identities, um, but let's read the story. I knew the day would come, the day they would knock on the door and take me and my husband to prison. Although everyone around me thought I was a housewife, I was, in fact, involved in full-time ministry. The authorities were bound to find out. We started preparing our daughter Lily for persecution when she was still in primary school. When they come and take mom and dad away, don't worry, we told her. The Bible tells us it's normal to be persecuted as believers. They will take us to prison, ask us some questions, and hit us, and then we will come back. It was an early winter morning when the authorities came to our house. Lily was 12 at the time, and she'd already left for school. They searched everything, then they ordered my husband and me to come with them. On the way to prison, I thought about Lily and how she would know what to do when my sister picked her up from school and told her. Lily would pray, and when she was afraid, she would pray more. In prison, my husband and I were split up. I was allowed to call Lily four times a week. I was interrogated daily. Soon they found my weak point, my little girl. I told them everything they wanted to know about myself, but I refused to give the names of the others. Okay, they told me. As long as you won't give names, you can't call your daughter. We will catch up with Lily's story a little later this morning. So we've been working on the sermon series about the Beatitudes this summer. Today we will be reading from Matthew 5, verse 10 to 12. And as Pastor Dave said, if your Bibles are handy, please open it up as we read. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, as we're coming close to the end of this series, I want to just recap a couple of important things uh, about the Sermon on the Mount um, and the Beatitudes in, in particular. First thing you have to see is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples in the sermon. So these are not the socially elite or the well-educated people of the time. They are the normal working people who would not have seen themselves as especially blessed or privileged. Um, Jesus is on a mission with this sermon. 
uh, he is demonstrating to the hearers that he is the fulfillment of the law um, and that no human can fulfill the requirements of this law to be in a right relationship with the Father. Jesus is the only way that we can come to God the Father. Jesus is furthermore, through this sermon, inviting his audience, his disciples, to follow him as Jesus will extend his messianic work through his disciples. Jesus is not just clarifying his own character, being meek, righteous, pure in heart or merciful, but also the kind of people who can make up the kingdom, the ones who are his followers. His followers are those people that are poor in spirit, those that mourn, the meek, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, and the ones that are persecuted because of Jesus. The people that are drawn to Jesus, the downcast and the broken, they are the ones that are blessed and will be blessed when they follow Jesus. These are the people that Jesus will use to establish his kingdom here on earth till he returns. The evidence that these people are following him and doing his will is evidenced by the fact that they are being persecuted because of this Jesus who we follow. It is extremely important to understand and to remember that the Beatitudes are not entrance requirements to enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus is the only way that we can enter. It is furthermore not a list, or furthermore not a list of ethical demands for personal behaviors either. It is a glimpse as to what the character of a Jesus follower would look like and the promises of comfort and blessing from Jesus who have experienced all the persecutions themselves. Now let's look at this eighth beatitude in a bit more detail. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the question is, why are these people being persecuted in this beatitude? Is it because of their own foolishness or sin? Is it for their pursuit of some religio-political cause or because they behave like wild-eyed fanatics? No, they are being persecuted because of righteousness. Jesus takes it one step further in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus says that blessed are we if we are persecuted for his name. This is where we must be very careful. Um, it is easy to manipulate um, our own causes and say that it is because of his name. History is full of examples where the gospel was used to promote own agendas. Uh, any resistance to these movements were then classified as persecution and used to ensure loyalty of its followers. This is unfortunately still happening today and will happen in the future. Um, this is another reason why it is so important for us to know our Bibles and to major in the main majors and not major in the minors. Another important point to understand is this. Jesus is saying that persecution will come if we follow him. It's not a question of if we are going to be persecuted, but when. For those who have repented and accepted Jesus Christ as our only salvation, we are changed human beings. We are being made more like Jesus, and with that will come persecution. We will be different than the culture we walk in. As we are changed human beings, the culture of our time will see the change and they will not like it. This change involves walking to a different tune, to God's agenda, and that will not always fall in line with what the cultures around us um, experience. 
genuine, gentle righteousness in our lives will reveal the ways people are not living by God's ways, and that will offer a challenge for those around us by implication. People will either be drawn to our precious Savior or repelled by our righteous living. This is when persecution will happen. Listen to the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4, verse 12 to 16. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange is were happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you might be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should be as a, not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. So if we follow Jesus, we will become more like him. Our lives will be transformed. Jesus has been persecuted and suffered to set us free from everlasting sin and separation from God. If we accept that, we should expect to change. Jesus himself says later in Matthew chapter 10, when he sends the 12 disciples on their first mission trip, to expect resistance and persecution. Let's read in verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And then Jesus continues in verses 24 and 25a. The student is not above the teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers, and servants like their masters. D.I. Carson writes about the Eighth Beatitude, and he says this, This Beatitude serves as a test for all the Beatitudes. Just as people must be poor in spirit to enter the kingdom, so they will be persecuted because of righteousness if they are to enter the kingdom. He continues to say, For if disciples of Jesus never experience any persecution at all, it may be fairly asked where righteousness is being displayed in their lives. If there is no righteousness, no conformity to God's will, how will they enter the kingdom? So far we've established that followers of Jesus will be persecuted and that we will be persecuted for righteousness and for his name's sake. This is because we have followed his ways in contrast to the ways of the world around us and because we bear the name Christ follower or Christian. But what does persecution look like in different times and cultures, and also for us locally. Now, obviously, these examples that I'm going to mention can take the whole day, and I'm not going to do that to you, but we'll only look at a few of these examples and statistics. Through all of this, it will be important to remember this quote attributed to Joseph Stalin, who himself persecuted countless Christians. One death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. Each one of these people or numbers that I'm going to mention could have been me and you or our loved ones. As we have seen so far this morning, this could still be true for all of us in some way, shape, or form going forward. So here are some statistics from the 2021 World Watch List published by Open Doors. These statistics are very conservative, so remember that as we go forward. They are relevant for the top 50 countries where Christians are the most persecuted for following Jesus. Every day, 13 Christians worldwide are killed because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. And every day, 12 Christians are unjustly arrested or imprisoned, and another five are abducted. These 50 nations contain 
309 million Christians living in places with very high or extreme levels of persecution, up from 260 million the year before. The top 10 countries are as follows, North Korea, Afghanistan, followed by Somalia, Libya, Pakistan, Eritrea, Yemen, Iran, Nigeria, and India. Worldwide registered martyrdom rose to 4,761 in the 2021 report. That is up 60% from the 2,983 the year before and surpassing the 4,305 from 2019. Abduction of Christians rose to 1,710, up 63% from the 1,052 tallied the year before, the first time the category was tracked by open doors. Of the abduction, Nigeria tops the list with 990. Pakistan led the world in forced marriages, a new category tracked last year, with about 1,000 Christians married to non-Christians against their will. China arrested, jailed, or detained without charge 1,147 Christians for faith-related reasons, out of a total of 4,277 worldwide. Meanwhile, attacks and forced closures of churches numbered 4,488 worldwide, with the vast majority recorded in China, followed by Nigeria. In last year's report, the tally had skyrocketed from 1,847 to 9,488, with China accounting for 5,576 alone. The COVID-19 pandemic has, increased, has created increased persecution of Christians in the world. In India, about 80,000 Christians reported that they were dis dismissed from food distribution points because of their faith. This was the case in multiple countries in Asia and North Africa. In China, where decisive action was taken by the government to contain the outbreak, increased surveillance reached into people's homes and their online and offline interactions were tracked. That, together with increased facial recognition software that connects to China's social credit system, monitors the loyalty of citizens with regards to the tenets of communism. One can see that being a follower of Jesus in these countries, the cost is great. David Curry, the president of C and CEO of Open Doors USA, spoke these words when he released this latest report. You might think this list is all about oppression, but the list is really all about resilience. The numbers of God's people who are suffering should mean that the church is dying that Christians are keeping quiet, losing their faith, and turning away from one another. But that's not what's happening. Instead, in living color, we see the words of God recorded in the prophet Isaiah, I will make a way in the wilderness and, ri and rivers in the desert. We can see that even in all this persecution and suffering, that Jesus is still present and carrying his people. We can read in the Bible about men and women who were faithful to God and were persecuted or even killed for their faith. Go and read the stories of Noah, Joseph, Daniel and his three friends Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, John the Baptist and Stephen, to name but a few. Of the twelve apostles in the Bible, tradition reads that only John did not die violently for his faith. John did not escape persecution though, but was exiled to rot on an island. Not all persecution will lead to death. Jesus himself in Matthew 5.11 says this, Blessed are you when, you when people insult you, persecute you, 
and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. In modern day media, Christians would often be portrayed as backward, stupid, judgmental, and awkward. Christians would be seen as rednecks, which by the way is an old Irish Christian slur, non-progressive, Bible thumpers, and homophobes. To identify yourself as a Christian often will mean that you will not be, that you'll be excluded from certain events and friendships. You will likely be ridiculed behind your back and sometimes even in front of you. You may be attacked for every mistake the church and Christians have made in the past. People may look for ways to break you down at work and school, and you will likely feel alone quite often. It may mean that you do not, may not get the promotion that you deserve because of the fact that you're not willing to partake in some of the after-hours events that go against your beliefs. In my medical field, it may mean that you may not get to do the specialization in the field that you want to do because you do not believe in abortion or medical assistance in dying. It may even mean that your heart will break when you see evil being perpetrated and you have no way to stop it. That deep sore in your soul, which may even mean that you have to leave the job that you care about to get away from that evil. This becomes even more difficult if you're a youth or a teenager, where peer interaction is so important. Daniel Moulin published an article in the Journal of Contemporary Religion in 2016 to showcase some of this. In his article, reported experiences of anti-Christian prejudice among Christian adolescents in England, he shares some of these experiences of young Christians being persecuted. Here is one example. I'm going to read this. I'm not as good as Anthony was with doing voices, so put your own spin on this. I have a particular friend who is very atheistic, and she'll at any opportunity challenge my religion. In a conversation we were having the other day, she said how it was funny that I could fall for this whole God thing, and she likes claimed that she wishes Richard Dawkins had arrested the Pope and stuff. In his discussion about his findings, Mulan states this fact. The founder of the social scientific study of prejudice, Gordon Alport, defines prejudice as a case of mistaken or poor judgment or a failure of rationality. However, if prejudice must involve an element of irrationality and one presumes hostility to Christianity is rational, it follows that anti-Christian prejudice is not a prejudice. This view is endorsed by the new atheist and has been articulated by those critical of the role of Christian groups in public life who see opposition towards the beliefs, values, and influence of Christianity not as a prejudice, but a right of free thinkers in a liberal society. It means that in the culture of our day, it is okay to be prejudiced against Christians, as that would not be classified as a prejudice at all. Think about that. So how are we supposed, as Christians, to respond to persecution? Listen to what Jesus himself teaches us later in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, verse 38 to 44. You have heard that it was said, eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus is saying here that the, only, that the way to respond to persecution is by trusting, praying, and choosing not to retaliate. 
Now, I don't care how holy you may think you are, um, but to do any of this, what Jesus is requiring of us naturally out of our own strength, makes you emotionally unstable. There is no way we can do any of this out of our own strength or goodness. This is something that only God can do. We can only trust God and expect that God will not only strengthen us, but that he can meet us in a special way and grow us deeper. Now, what does Jesus say in this beatitude is the reward if we are being persecuted for righteousness in his name's sake? Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then later Jesus goes on and Jesus reminds us of the world to come as motivation to endure hardship. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. As we have learned in the beginning of this series, the first and the eighth beatitude differ from the others in the fact that their stated reward is in the present tense and not just in the future tense. The reward for both is life in the kingdom of heaven, which, as we've seen, is life under God's gracious, loving rule, now and forever. What that means, in a sense, is that you can only approach the kingdom of heaven in an attitude of being poor in spirit. There is no other way to approach it, as it is not something that we can achieve for ourselves. The second part of this says that the only way that we can demonstrate that we have received the kingdom of heaven is if we are being persecuted. Did our lives change so radically as we have Jesus in our hearts that we are in many ways distinct from living in contrast to the culture around us? Can people see that we are different because our nature has changed? So what does the kingdom of heaven look like? Now there are multiple possible guesses as to what that would look like. Is it full of fluffy clouds and toddler angels flying around with arrows? My wife believes that in heaven there will be ocean and beaches everywhere. Um, if you're a golfer, you believe that there are golf courses everywhere. If, however, you get to the first hole and the green is surrounded by water, you're probably not in heaven. <laughs> the short answer is that none of us really know what it will look like when we get to heaven. The book of Revelation does give us some clues, but even that is hard to understand. What we do know is that our communion with God himself will be unhindered and that we will behold his glory. Jesus is not only describing a place that we go to when we die, as much as the life as God intended. Remember, kingdom of heaven in Matthew is Matthew's way of saying kingdom of God. So I think this is best seen as pointing ahead to the time when Jesus returns. The world is made new and we live in that perfect peace, the shalom, as God intended. Free of evil, sin and death, in the very presence of God forever. That's why we can say that the kingdom is already and also not yet. Jesus has given us a taste of what heaven will be, one, be like one day when everything is made new and we have that perfect shalom with God that we were created to have. Listen to what the Apostle Paul is saying in the letter to the Romans in chapter 8, verse 14 to 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Jesus himself stressed this fact when, that we as his followers need the Holy Spirit. 
We need the presence of the Holy God within us to be able to know who we really are in him and to be strengthened in persecution. In John 16, 7, we read, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says that it's better for the Holy Spirit to be within us than for Jesus to walk right beside us. He continues in Matthew 10, verse 19 and 20 with these words, But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you will say, or what to say, or how to say it. At that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. In my heart, I do believe that when we are persecuted, that God through his Holy Spirit gives us special strength and comfort that cannot be explained. There is no way that we are able to bear the burdens and respond the way Jesus expects us without his Holy Spirit within us. He promised that he will never let us go and that close communion with him is part of the kingdom of heaven that is already here. So Jesus says, trust me, I will be with you. I will give you what you need and help you speak. So let's listen to the rest of the story of Lily we heard earlier this morning. I was devastated. Back in my cell, I couldn't stop crying. I knew that I did the right thing. Yet, how could I live without knowing my what my how my daughter was doing? How could she be comforted without hearing my voice? While I was praying, suddenly I felt a warm wind stroking my cheeks. Take it in, I heard the Lord saying. With every breath of warm air I took, I felt my body being filled with joy. In fact, I couldn't sit anymore. I had to dance for joy and praise God. It lasted all night. All night I was dancing for the Lord. Until the next morning, God was giving me the strength to put my beloved daughter in his hands. Not long after, I was released as was my husband. Through tears, I saw my Lily's face again. She told me that she had been praying a lot for us. Spending these times in prayer and trusting the Lord in everything was a completely new experience for her. In hindsight, Lily says that she never grew more in her faith than during that time we were in prison. I prepared my Lily for what would happen when her parents were taken away, and I learned to put Lily in the hands of the Lord, and he took care of her in miraculous ways. The God we serve is faithful and will never let us go. As the worship team is coming up, I want to finish this morning with some lyrics from Hillsong United, which we sang this morning, and if you haven't heard it, take the time to look it up, Another in the Fire. There is a grace when the heart is under fire, another way when the walls are closing in. And when I look at the space between where I used to be and this reckoning, I know I will never be alone. There was another in the fire, standing next to me, there was another in the waters, holding back the sea. And should I ever need reminding of how I've been set free, there is a cross that bears that burden, where another died for me. There is another in the fire. Amen.